Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So the last time we stayed at Capitol Reef Resort, I was out in the parking lot doing something and all of a sudden this llama trip came through uh, with the people and the packs and everything. And I didn't even know it was a thing until then. You thought <laughs> you thought that it was like a horseback trip and that you rode the llama. I did. I could just see you hopping up on one. That would be worth the price of admission to see what happens when you jump up on a llama. This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Karen Smith. And I'm Matt Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Today, we're taking you to Capitol Reef National Park, one of the most diverse national parks in Utah. It has great hiking, scenic drives, backcountry dirt roads, fruit picking, slot canyons, petroglyphs, and pies. How can you not love pie to go in a national park? I can't not love it. There are many other things to love about Capitol Reef, and we'll be talking about all of them, including some fun lodging options just outside the park. All this and more coming up next. time we visited Capitol Reef back in, what was that, 2010, when we were on our journey to all the national parks, I, I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I liked it the least out of all the national parks in Utah. Well, I liked it right away because it had food options. <laughs> we got to pick fruit and they, have, they were selling pies. So we found the food right away. So I, I, I liked it. It's a beautiful park. We had also come off of, I think, Zion and Bryce Canyon. And those are spectacular parks. It took us a few visits to see all the areas of the park because it's long and skinny. And you have to kind of go to some of these places on purpose. Well, that's right. So that first visit, we only had two days there. And we pretty much stayed in that main corridor of the park. We didn't branch out to some of the more spectacular areas that we've seen since then. Yeah, and to be fair, the scenic drive, which is spectacular, was closed due to a flash flood that had come through. So we missed driving that section and doing some of the hikes along that road. And that's a place everybody needs to see, and we'll be talking about that. But, you know, since then, I've realized the error of my ways. And since we've been back, what, like a half a dozen times? At least, yeah. Yeah, and we've seen pretty much all the areas of the park. I 
absolutely love Capitol Reef. Yeah, it's one of my favorite parks. It's one of those parks that if we're even close to it, we got to carve out a day or two to visit it again. And we're not the only ones who love Capitol Reef National Park. No. I was looking up the visitor statistics and they get about 1.2 million visitors a year. So that's a good chunk. That is. And I would imagine that number is going to go up when people start to discover it more. Oh, I would think so too. And when the tour buses come back, and the, yeah. I know, and the foreign tourists start coming back to the United States again, yeah, I can only think that that number will rise. So, brief history channel this morning Capitol Reef National Park turned 50 in December of 2021. So, it's just a youngster. It's a baby. It's a baby. <laughs> Although it has been a National Park Service site since 1937. That's it? (laughs) That's all the history you have? (laughs) Um, Are you asking for more? Well, I need a little bit more time to get a second (laughs) cup of coffee. Um, I heard a pause as I was going to the coffee pot. Well, since you asked, since you begged for more, I can certainly continue. Okay. Okay. So back in 1914, two local businessmen organized a booster club to begin promoting the beautiful landscape around Torrey, Utah. In 1924, they hired a photographer from Salt Lake City who came to the region and photographed what is now Capitol Reef. Now, at the time, they called this area Wayne Wonderland. <laughs> oh, I see. So Wayne's World is actually <laughs> copying off of Capitol Reef National Park, huh? It makes me think of Wayne's World every uh-huh. time I read that Wayne Wonderland. Now, the name Wayne Wonderland comes from, it's in Wayne County. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So using these photos, they began promoting the region and its natural beauty on a statewide level in hopes of making it a state park. Now, unfortunately, just as this was gaining momentum, one of the men, Joseph Hickman, drowned in nearby Fish Lake, and with his death, statewide support for a park was lost. Well, that's a bummer. It is a bummer. However... Wait, so you do have more History (laughs) Channel prepared. Oh, you were baiting no, me. No, I just I just know this in my head. This is oh, this is just knowledge that you've accumulated yeah. over the years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, in, in complete sentences. Your memories organized good, in complete it? sentences. It's, good. it's great. It's yeah. It's good. However, in the nineteen thirties, the National Park Service became interested in Wayne Wonderland and they sent Yellowstone National Park Superintendent Roger Toll to visit twice. For a few years, national and state officials went back and forth on proposed boundaries for the future monument, as well as a name. Finally, in 1937, all the promotional photograph stories and determination paid off when President Franklin D. Roosevelt set aside 37,000 acres for a new national monument called Capitol Reef. And then, in 1971, it became Capitol Reef National Park, encompassing 254,000 acres. Wow, so they made it much bigger in 1971. And they changed the name. So, Matt, it's time for a pop quiz. Okay. (laughs) Why was it named Capitol Reef? Well, Karen, as the layers of sediment rock were laid down... One, one of those layers is the Navajo limestone, and it's white. And it, as it erodes, it forms these domes. And those domes look kind of like capitals, like state capital or, or the national capital. And so that's why it's called Capitol Reef, 
with an O, not an A, Capitol Reef, like like Capitol Buildings. Wait. <laughs> you cheated. <laughs> you saw this on the outline. <laughs> and you looked it yeah. up, didn't you? Come on, be honest. No, that's just knowledge that was in my head. <laughs> See, I like it better when you don't know the answer and I can use the buzzer. <laughs> you again like i've said in previous episodes you like catching me in a mistake or looking stupid which isn't hard to do <laughs> all right you know what i will give you great credit for wait for wait, wait but... great you're gonna give me great credit <laughs> yes but great credit not full credit no because because there's a second part to this so that explains why why they named it capital but why did they name it reef what's the reef part of it well it's a water pocket fold oh dang it <laughs> you got to get up a little earlier in the day to pop quiz me. All right. All right. So the water pocket fold is one of the most unique and spectacular aspects of Capitol Reef National Park. So Matt, since you're up on all this, why don't you explain exactly what is the water pocket fold? Well, it's actually a wrinkle in the Earth's surface and it, it extends nearly 100 miles. It creates this dramatic landscape of rugged cliffs and canyons, striking natural bridges and arches, and distinct formations in the heart of Red Rock Country. <laughs> you write these sentences <laughs> that are supposed that... <laughs> to sound natural. Oh, that sounded really natural. Okay, this warp in the Earth's crust is a classic monocline, a steep fold on one side of otherwise horizontal geologic layers about 7,000 feet higher in the west than on the east. <laughs> wow. Well, you did are... you, that's like plagiarism. Did you <laughs> cut and paste that off of a website? Yeah, you weren't supposed to read it word for word. That was just okay, like so a general you should, guide. Like, footnote, wherever you stole this information, put that in a footnote. All right. So your answer is now complete. I will give you full credit for the pop quiz. So moving on, you know, before it became a national park, Mormon pioneers settled in the area that is now the national park, and they planted thousands of fruit trees in this fertile valley from the 1880s all the way up to the 1960s. So now, as we mentioned earlier, visitors to the park can do some fruit picking in this historic Fruita district. Yeah, I think it's great that since the 1960s, they've kept those fruit trees and, and maintained them because it's it's a really unique aspect of a national park. I, and we've seen this in other areas kind of over by North Cascades National Park in the Stahican area. There's, there's some old historic orchards. But not only have they kept the trees, but there are a lot of different types of trees. That's another thing that's amazing. There are over 1,900 trees and they have apple trees, apricot, cherries, peaches, pears, and plums. Plums, all of those different kinds of trees. And since we all own the national parks for the different seasons, if you're there, you can go and, and pick fruit. The cherry picking starts about mid-June and then the different varieties continue through the summer. And then the last harvest there would be from the apple trees. And that's usually from early September to about mid-October. And that's what we did on our first visit is we picked apples twice. We, we picked apples and... We were the only ones there picking apples. Mm -hmm. uh, it was kind of towards the end of, of the season. We were the only humans there, although there were some deer. <laughs> and 
they would just stand watching us like dogs, waiting for us to drop an apple. They got a little close, so we had to pick a couple with worms in them and throw them <laughs> off into the distance to get the deer to yeah, not they, be so close to us. They were not afraid of us at all. It did freak me out a little bit because they were basically nosing right into our fruit basket, just like a little dog would do. Yeah, yeah they yeah. were very friendly. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in this, check in the visitor center. Usually they have a chart on the wall telling you what's in season, what you can pick, where to pick it. And then after you're done picking your fruit, there's a self-pay station with a scale and it lists the prices and you weigh your fruit and you um, you pay your money. But uh, it's a really fun thing to do. Also, I did see on the website that there is a fruit hotline that the park oh, has. hotline? <laughs> yeah. Fruit hotline. So you can call for updated fruit blossom and harvest times. Now, if you don't want to pick fruit, if you want somebody else to pick it for you <laughs> and to make a pie out of it, they sell pies at the Gifford Homestead. I actually prefer that. Just skip the picking and just go right to the Gifford Homestead and buy pies. One of the things I love about that is that the pies that they sell are small individual pies. So you can buy your very own flavor. You know, they have all these different flavors and Matt and I usually cannot agree on which flavor is the best. So what you always get apple, I usually get peach, but you can get your own pie. I like it. They're just small enough that I think it would be rude for somebody to suggest that you split it. But it's big enough to have a healthy serving. Yeah. Yes. And usually there's some leftover for breakfast with coffee the next day, which is... That's why is, I get three. Yeah. <laughs> so this Gifford Homestead, don't miss it. This farmhouse was built back in 1908 by Mormon settlers. And in addition to the farmhouse, uh, the homestead includes a barn, a smokehouse, garden, pasture, and rock walls. But inside the house... In addition to the pies, you can also buy handmade items from local artisans and craftsmen like, I don't know, what did they have, Matt? Like quilts and aprons and soap. soap. candles. <laughs> yeah, toys. T-shirts. Yeah, they have T-shirts, they have books and postcards and all kinds of things. So it's a gift shop in addition to great pie. And I think they had really big cinnamon rolls there too, if I remember today. That's they? right, they had cinnamon rolls. So the Gifford Homestead is about a mile south of the visitor center and Note that it's only open from mid-March through the end of October. So we have visited on occasions like in November and in early March, and it's been closed. And that was a huge disappointment. Oh, wait. And the most important thing we need to tell people is the pies do sell out. Oh, yes. And they make quite a few, but but it seems like maybe 1 to 2 o'clock in the afternoon is that's the danger zone. Yes. Like, don't show up at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and expect pies to still be there. Right. They told us they sell out every single day. So go early. Go at least before lunchtime to get your pies so you can secure it. Go early, go often, and buy three. So another thing that you definitely want to stop and see, it's kind of in that general area, it's along Highway 24, is the petroglyph panel. And I thought that was really amazing. I always like seeing a good petroglyph mm-hmm. panel. And I'm, I'm not joking when I say that. And these are great because they're right off the highway. There's a little parking area. There's two wooden boardwalks. It's an easy walk. It's less than half a mile round trip. And it's wheelchair accessible. And it's great when they do that because then it's protecting the petroglyph from people messing with them, but you, you still have a good viewing of them. Yes, it's really interesting. All kinds of different unique drawings from the Fremont culture. 
Okay, so so we're going to talk about scenic drives. We have three of them here we're going to mention. But before we do that, Highway 24 that runs east and west through the park is also scenic. It's not really considered a scenic drive, but it's incredibly scenic. <laughs> right, for, from the little town of Torrey, west of the park, then through the park a little ways. And then it, you know, once you get through the park, it kind of gets more deserty as you, you're heading towards Hanksville. I actually think the drive all the way to Hanksville is spectacular, although it's it's a different type of landscape. But when you're going through the park, it is it is absolutely beautiful. But then if you turn into the park south, there's the whole eight-mile paved scenic drive. Right. And then its name is called the Scenic Drive. <laughs> And you access it just south of the visitor center. This is an incredible drive. It takes you through the heart of the water pocket fold. Yeah, and there are cliffs on both sides of the road. They're tilted at different angles, and it's almost like a fun house back there. A fun house? <laughs> I don't know about that. I'd call it a fun house. Even though the main road's paved, there's a couple of dirt spur roads, and they're they're usually suitable for just regular passenger cars and, and RVs. They say, you know, up to 27 feet in length. Don't don't go in there if you're longer than that because it can be difficult turning around. One of those is the Grand Wash. I think that's the first one you come to as you're driving south. And that's it's about a one-mile drive, and it takes you to a parking lot. So you can park there and start hiking through the Grand Wash on foot. Yeah, and we'll talk about that more when we get to the hiking trails portion, but that is a great hike. And the second dirt spur road is the Capitol Gorge Road, and it's about a two-mile dirt road, and it's a little more winding than the Grand Wash Road. What was interesting when I was reading about the history, uh, so this road dead ends at two miles, but... It used to be the road through the park from 1884 to 1962. That was how you got through Capitol Reef National Park. I know. Uh, Again, there's another hike there that we'll mention in a few minutes. Well, what other scenic drives are there other than the scenic drive (laughs) in the park? Well, there's the Burr Trail. And we have talked a lot about the Burr Trail. We covered it in two different episodes, episode 20 and episode 71. So we won't go into a lot of detail here. The trail itself is a 67-mile scenic drive. It connects the towns of Boulder, Utah in the west to Bullfrog in the east. And then it, it passes also through part of Glen Canyon National Recreation Area and Capitol Reef National Park and Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument. So it it cuts through all of those areas. The reason we're bringing it up is it does go through the park and that area that uh, of the park it goes through is it's a beautiful drive and it's like a dugway, the switchbacks. Yeah, there's a series of switchbacks. And the Burr Trail is drivable for most passenger cars as long as there hasn't been rainy weather, as long as it's not muddy, as long as there are not storms in the forecast. The park does have a road condition hotline you can call to see what the road condition is. But I think most passenger cars could drive the Burr Trail. Yeah, I agree with that. It's not a challenging drive when the conditions are good. But if that road gets wet, those switchbacks can be treacherous. You know, one thing you could do is if you are leaving Capitol Reef National Park and you're heading in the direction of Boulder, maybe you're going to on to Bryce, you could head down Noton Bullfrog Road, access the Bird Trail from there, go up the switchbacks, cut through over to Boulder beautiful scenic drive that way. And it wouldn't take that much longer. It wouldn't add that much more to your driving time. Right. 
and we've done that. That's pretty desolate, but I, I like that kind of drive. Yes, I do too. So yeah, Bird Trail is fantastic. Another one that looks fantastic that we have not done, and it's been in my bucket for a long, long time, is the Cathedral Valley Loop. In the bucket, it's <laughs> probably going to stay in the bucket for a long time until we figure out how to do this safely. So let's explain what it is first, and then we could talk about how we got turned back. So there are two roads that make up this loop. There's the Hartnet Road and the Cathedral Wash Road, along with a small section of Highway 24 that connects them. Now, this is unpaved. It's 58 miles, and you must have a high-clearance vehicle. A 4x4 is recommended because these are gravel roads with thick sand in some places, and cars get stuck all the time in the sand. Yeah, the sand will get you, and you got to know how to self-rescue if you're going to go out there. That's right. At the beginning of Hartnet Road, as you're accessing this, there is a water crossing. You have to ford the Fremont River. They suggest that you do the loop in a clockwise direction, starting with the Hartnet Road, to see if you can make it across the river so that you don't end up going the entire loop, and that's at the end, and then you can't cross. If you can't get across the river, you can do this counterclockwise going in on Cathedral Wash Road and coming back out the same way. And one of the reasons why people do this loop is that they go to see the temples of the sun and the moon. These are sandstone monoliths, which we have not seen other than in photographs. I really want to do that. We tried to do it in 2020, but what happened was we we got to the river crossing (laughs) to ford the Fremont River, and we took a look at the river, and it was running high and fast. I couldn't see the bottom of the river, so I'm not driving my truck, let alone my brand new truck, into a river I can't see the bottom of, and there was an odd little... You had to go into the river and then take an immediate right turn, which I'm not sure I had the turning radius to do, and then drive, literally drive down the river. I don't know. It seemed like maybe 100 feet, 200 feet, and then take a left turn to get out of the river. And I thought, no, I'm not no, I'm not doing that with my new truck. No. We, we debated it. We sat there and we looked at it and we looked at it. We were kind of hoping that somebody else would come by and drive through so we could get a feeling for how deep it was in the middle. But I'm telling you, that water was really flowing. And I could just see us continuing on down, like row, row, row your boat gently down the stream as our, as our brand new truck keeps floating down. You, you threw a rock in the river. <laughs> like a big rock. I don't, I don't know what you thought you were going to learn by that. What, what did you learn by throwing a rock in the river? I learned that there was no way in hell we were going to cross that river in our brand new truck. So our second option was we thought we would drive in on Cathedral Wash Road the next day, go see the temples of the sun and moon, and then turn around and not do it as a loop. However, we called the Capitol Reef Road Condition Hotline, and they said, do not do it. They said cars were getting stuck. It was just a bad time to drive that road. So, you know, we just, we gave up on that for that trip. Yeah. And again, if you get stuck back there, you do have to self-rescue. And and by self-rescue, I mean self-rescue. You probably shouldn't rely on some other truck to come along and snatch you out of the sand. Yeah. You could be sitting there a long time. Right. 
If you decide to do it, though, definitely check the road conditions and make sure that you have plenty of water and food and self-rescue equipment in your 4x4 vehicle so that if you do get stuck out there and it's 24 hours before the next person comes along, you'll be okay. Take an extra pie. (laughs) Yes, take three. (laughs) Okay, so those are some of the scenic drives in the park. What about hikes, Karen? A lot of great hikes in Capitol Reef. So let's start out with some of the easy ones. As we mentioned when we were talking about scenic drives, that Capitol Gorge Spur Road, if you drive the two miles back to the end of the road, there is a trailhead there and a parking lot, and then you can hike through Capitol Gorge, and that's a great hike. Yeah, it's about a two-mile round-trip hike, and about five to ten minutes into it, you'll come to a petroglyph panel. That's right. And if you continue on a half mile from the trailhead, look up at the north side of the canyon wall. That would be to your left. And you'll see a lot of names, dates, and places carved and painted. And in one case, even shot into the sandstone, like with a gun. These were left by prospectors, explorers, surveyors, cowboys, and settlers traveling through the gorge. And what they do is they'd stand on their wagons to carve their names high up on the canyon wall so that they would leave their names, they're trying to get their names above the flash flood danger, so hoping that their their names would stay there for centuries. And many of these signatures are from the 1800s. Yeah, and it's cool because they did survive for centuries. Um, so you can go and see those on the canyon wall. And that's that's a pretty cool thing to do. And if you want to continue on, the next stop is the tanks, which are several large potholes that are used to store water, as well as a small natural bridge. The tanks is the spot where most people turn around. And it's a nice, easy hike all the way through the gorge to the eastern park boundary. Now, another easy hike that's off the scenic drive is the Grand Wash hike. You drive to the parking area at the end of the Grand Wash Spur Road and start from there. It's 4.4 miles round trip, and you could also start this hike at the other end off Highway 24. That Grand Wash is an interesting area to hike, uh, very popular. It has an impressive, deep, sheer-walled wash that cuts through the Navajo sandstone layer. And on hot days, it's usually cool because it's usually in the shade. That's right. This is a great hike for families. The narrowest sections are about 15 feet wide, uh, which is wide enough they used to actually drive cars through this wash. But now it's only for hikers all the way through. If you're wanting something shorter than the 4.4 miles round trip, park at the bottom trailhead, which is the one on Highway 24, and walk up from the bottom. And this way you're going to visit the most narrow section of Grand Wash in about a 20 or 30 minute walk from the trailhead. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, also, another easy hike in the park is Gooseneck Point. And this is, guys, just like a quarter-mile round-trip hike. And there's great views of the canyon carved by Sulphur Creek. That's that's a interesting gooseneck to see. That is. That is a stunning view from up there. And also right in that same area of the park, you turn off Highway 24 and you access all three of these 
In addition to Gooseneck Point, there's Sunset Point and Panorama Point. Uh, Now, Sunset Point is about just under a mile round trip. It's easy. It's a great place to watch the sunset. And also Panorama Point is just a short walk, and it's another great spot to watch the sunset. And we always go uh, to that area to watch the sunset, and it does get crowded at that time of day. And oftentimes we see people park, it's close to sunset, and we see them running down the trail to, you know, to the end of the trail, to the sunset point. But I got to tell you, it's a great view at the end of the trail. But the sunset's beautiful anywhere in that area. Oh, yeah. You know, if we don't have a lot of time, we will park, get our camp chairs, walk about 20 yards to a big flat rock, set them up, maybe pull out a beverage and watch the sunset. And like you said, Matt, it's beautiful from wherever you are. And of course, it's not even looking to the west to where the sun is setting, but to the east as it lights up all of those cliffs in the park. It's absolutely beautiful. So highly recommend this entire area, no matter which spot you end up watching the sunset in. Okay, so how about some moderate hikes? Okay, one of the most popular hikes in the park is Hickman Bridge. Um, It's about 1.8 miles round trip and 400 feet of elevation change. It's considered moderate. And you are hiking to Hickman Bridge, which is a 133-foot natural bridge. Yeah, I don't remember that being too strenuous, but... Uh, but difficult enough that you feel like you get a workout. That's right. If you want to make the strenuous, however, you can continue on the trail too. The Rim Overlook is is a 4.6-mile round-trip hike with 1,100 feet of elevation gain. And if you really want a workout, continue on the Navajo Knobs Trail, which ends up being 9.4 miles round-trip with 1,600 feet of elevation gain. Incredible views from both of those places. So really, there's something for everyone. You can have a moderate hike, or you could continue on and have a very uh, challenging hike. You should throw those in the bucket. I know, definitely. We have not not been to Navajo Knobs. I would love to do that. Yeah, although you say there's spectacular views. There are, and this is one of the parks, there's spectacular views pretty much from anywhere. Yes. Yeah, and one of them is Cassidy Arch. It's about 3.4 miles round trip, 666 feet elevation gain. <laughs> all at the beginning, if I'm remembering yeah, correctly. Yeah, all at once. Uh, <laughs> it's named for Butch Cassidy, who would use this area as as a hideout. At least that's the, the legend. And when you get to the end of the trail, you're actually looking down on Cassidy Arch. And if you want to, you can actually walk across it. We did not do that because I didn't want to fall off and die. But uh, if you're afraid of heights, it's a steep drop off. But you can see the arch without having to walk across it. Right. And it is amazing that you're actually looking down on this arch. Beautiful views from up there. Beautiful views the entire way along the trail. So we'd highly recommend Cassidy Arch. And this one is accessed. You go down the scenic drive that we talked about and that first turn onto onto Grand Wash, drive to the parking area, and then you access the hike a little ways down the canyon. Right. You start on the Grand Wash hike, Mm -hmm. and then you take a left-hand turn. It's marked. Yes. And then you go up to Cassidy Arch. Now, some hikes that most people don't know about, there are three slot canyons in the park, and those are called Burrow Wash, Cottonwood Wash, and Sheets Gulch. 
Yeah, and they are all located within a few miles of each other. You can get to them off Notum Bullfrog Road. So the first few miles of each of these trails or these gulches, these routes, uh, you're on BLM land, Bureau of Land Management, and then you cross back over the border and then you're in the National Park. So I'm going to read what the National Park Service has to say about these. This is on the Capitol Reef website. We didn't read this before we hiked Sheets Gulch, but uh, I just want to read this before we talk about it. So this is what they say. All three slot canyons are difficult hikes and only experienced canyon country hikers should attempt these routes. All contain obstacles in the form of dry falls and choke stones, which must be climbed over. The canyons are extremely narrow in places. Most people will have to work their way through sideways. Often there are pools of water that may require deep wading or short swims. These routes are not official maintained trails. Route conditions, including obstacles and canyons, change frequently due to weather, flash floods, rockfall, and other hazards. Route finding, navigation, and map reading skills are critical. End quote. Yeah, we should have read that <laughs> before we did the Sheets Cult hike. I mean, even though we're experienced canyon country hikers, I would I would call us experienced canyon country hikers. At least back then, before we'd ever done any canyon country hiking, we thought we were. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll talk about that. I just wanted to read the mileage uh, before we get into the Sheets Gulch. If you want to do burrow wash, we haven't done that one, to an impassable pour-off where you have to turn around, it's 3.4 miles. That's one way. Cottonwood wash to the impassable pour-off is 3.3 miles one way. And Sheets Gulch, the one that we did, there is a turnaround point at Cottonwood Seep, although I think you can continue on, and that is 6.7 miles one way. Yeah, and on all of those distances, the impassable point of the trail changes all the time. Right. When we did Sheets Gulch, it was probably three or four years ago. We weren't using Gaia app at the time because I don't even know if it was invented. (laughs) And if it was, we didn't know about it. So I had literally downloaded and printed out a piece of paper from the internet. It was a Southwestern blog about a guy who had hiked this and he had, you know, he had mileage listed and what you're going to see and all kinds of stuff. So that's what we were going off of. And the first thing I'll say is that it was a little tricky to find the entrance to the Slot Canyon. It was. Usually it's not because you're you're going upstream and so all the little tributaries should lead to the same little canyon, but in this case it didn't. So I think we we did a little bit of backtracking to find exactly where the where the wash was. Right. Because we passed a few washes and I'm gonna say we hiked a mile or two before we turned into the slot canyon, but there were directions like bear right at the second wash. I mean there were all these instructions where it was a little confusing, but we did finally find it. Yeah, it wasn't super helpful. When we found the turnoff uh, and we started into the slot canyon, gosh, almost immediately we came to this part that was <laughs> Just as that description I read from the NPS website, it was very narrow where we had to sort of shimmy sideways and climb up. And there was a huge branch in the way that we had to work our way under and then up sideways over boulders. I think that was probably the hardest part right at the beginning. Yeah, there was there was a few challenges that weren't listed on the trail description. <laughs> you know, yesterday I was watching a video that we took in that really narrow section of Sheets Gulch, and I noticed, Matt, that you were wearing your safety glasses. Yeah, and why is that funny? 
Well, he looked like kind of a cross between like like a wood shop student and a lumberjack. Yeah. Well, <laughs> whatever. I'm just trying to protect my eyes. I only have one set of eyes. You know, I thought you might like start a new fashion trend, but so far that doesn't seem to have caught on. I haven't seen how, other how people. How do you know? There could be people out there wearing safety glasses. Have you ever seen any ever? Well, it takes a while for these these trends to catch on. <laughs> That's all right. You know, you're special and unique. And Yeah, and- you're special and unique, too. <laughs> so let's, let's just make that clear. <laughs> you're special also. <laughs> Why, thank you, Matt. <laughs> you're welcome. And, and no joking, that's what happens. So these flash floods come through and boulders get moved around and debris uh, accumulates in areas where it wasn't there a week ago. And so, uh, yeah, you, you just don't know what you're going to get. Right. And although that's part of the adventure and part of the fun, right? And I think on his description, he had said that four miles in there, there was now an impassable chokestone that you'd have to turn around. And we were keeping track of our mileage and there was no chokestone, which is amazing because obviously a flash flood had come through and washed it away. But I think we ended up hiking about five miles and then turned around and retraced our steps back. Yeah, I enjoyed that hike. But mm-hmm. uh, like you said, a flash flood comes through and the, the description of the trail completely changes. Right. Now, if you're interested in hiking these slots, you could check with a ranger, although, as we mentioned, the park doesn't maintain them, and they might not have current information. Yeah, I think it's an interesting part of the park that not a lot of people see. That's right. We never saw another person out there the day we were there. Yeah. We thought it was fun. We thought it was an adventure. I would recommend that visitors check out these slots, you know, as long as you're an experienced hiker and you have your 10 essentials. And and of course, the weather is cooperating. 11 essentials. Safety glasses is now part of (laughs) the essentials. I don't know if you got that memo, but it's now called the 11 essentials. I thought you were going to say poop bag because we've talked before about how carrying a poop bag would be the 11th essential. So I guess now it's 12. Yeah, it's it's 12. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, one more hike I wanted to mention. We have not done this, and there's a reason for that, but people keep telling us about this hike, is Sulphur Creek. And you are basically hiking through Sulphur Creek the entire way. I think it's a little bit like the Narrows in Zion. Now, the reason we haven't done this is because we all we try to visit in the off-season. So we're usually there early March before the spring breakers hit, or we're there in November. And it is too cold, at least in our opinion, it's too cold to hike through a creek. We're usually wearing jackets and, and gloves and things. So we haven't done this, but it does look amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. sometime in the, in the summer when it's it's hot out. It'll be yeah. it'd be a great hike. So it's five point eight miles one way through Sulphur Creek Canyon, and what most people do is they leave a vehicle on the starting end, which is off of Highway 24, and then they put their second car at the visitor center, which is where you end up. If you don't have a second car, you're going to have to hike all the way back along Highway 24 to your car, which is an extra 3.3 miles. That's another reason we haven't done it is because we never have two cars. So you're hiking downstream. Yes, you're hiking downstream. It says in the description 
There are two miles of scenic narrows and three small waterfalls, and bypassing the falls requires the ability to scramble down 12-foot ledges. You're always walking in some kind of water, and sometimes the water is deep and might require swimming. So they suggest you ask at the visitor center about current conditions And again, flash floods are a hazard on this hike, so don't hike it if there's a chance of rain. Yeah, this is definitely a trail that you want to talk to a ranger at the visitor center before you attempt it because they could give you really great information like, now, you you know, if you try to do that today, you'll die. Right. And if that sounds like too much of a hike for you, if you only want to hike a short section of the canyon to a small waterfall, you can hike upstream. You can begin your hike at the visitor center and follow Sulphur Creek upstream 0.7 miles and see the waterfall and then turn around and go back. So that's in the bucket. Okay, so a bunch of hikes, great hikes in the park. Mm-hmm, lots of them. All right, Karen, let's talk about where to stay. We have stayed several times at the Capitol Reef Resort. Years ago, it was the Best Western, and mm-hmm. now they changed it to Capitol Reef Resort. And it's a great location because it's very close to the park, And it has incredible views off the backside of the property. Oh, it's gorgeous. So this is in Torrey, located to the west of the park. It's the closest town, and it has some different lodging options. But yes, we always have stayed in Capitol Reef Resort. It's a great place and so convenient to the park. You can literally drive in in about five minutes. We've always stayed in their standard rooms. They're just regular like motel-type rooms. But they also have teepees that you can stay in. And Conestoga wagons. That would be fun to do. I would love to do that. I'd love to stay in both. I think they both look unique. There are photos of them on the Capitol Reef Resort website you could check out. Again, these are somewhat seasonal. They don't offer these all year. So every time we visit, like we said, in off-season, they are not available. So we have just stayed in the motel rooms, which are perfectly fine. But sometime we're going to have to go in, I don't know, spring or summer and stay in those and hike that Sulphur Creek hike. Yeah, and I don't know what they have as far as heat and cooling in those, but you definitely want to check that out before you book one of those. Oh, definitely, especially in the summer. I I would think they would have to have some kind of cooling in the summer, but maybe that's why they're not open in the winter. Maybe there's no heat. I don't know. (laughs) But that's not the only place you can rent a wagon. Just a little bit further down the road, west on Highway 24, there's the Broken Spur Inn and Steakhouse. And we've eaten there for dinner They have motel rooms also, and they also have Conestoga wagons you can stay at. Right. So that's another option, too. I will say that the Steakhouse is a great restaurant. We really enjoyed our meal there, although we haven't stayed in either the wagons or the motel there. But that's another another place to check out if you want to try staying in a wagon. You could also camp, Karen. You could Mm -hmm. camp inside the National Park. They have a campground, the Fruita Campground. It's right in the heart of the Fruita District, kind of over there by the Gifford Homestead. And it's the only developed campground in the park. They've got 71 sites, but there's no individual water or electric hookups. They do have uh, restrooms that have running water and flush toilets, which I always love, but there aren't any showers there either. So this campground is 100% reservation system from March 1st to October 31st. 
They used to, I guess, have some first come, first served sites, but the line to get into the campground for people, you know, waiting to snatch up a site got so long that they stopped that. So if you don't have a reservation, you cannot stay there during that season. Now, it is first come, first served from November 1st through February 28th. So at that point, you could just show up and if you're lucky, get a campsite. Probably the lines aren't as long. Probably not. Yeah. We, we went over and visited the campground on our first visit to the park. I, I think it was in conjunction with our fruit picking. There was an apple orchard right there. And I remember we got there first thing in the morning and we were picking apples. It was probably about eight in the morning. We were close to a, a campsite that had a big RV in it. And a guy came out of the RV and he wandered over to talk to us. And for some reason that stuck in my mind because I remember he was drinking a Coors Light. At, at eight in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Well, he had to take his little dog for a walk. Yeah. 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 No judgment there. No, I mean, I'm no. <laughs> Why did you bring it up, Karen? (laughs) I say that. I know that's bad because if he'd come out with a Bloody Mary, I wouldn't have thought anything of it. No, the Coors Light at 8 in the morning. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) You can do better, guy. Come on. Get that Bloody Mary going. (laughs) If you're interested in camping, the sites are reservable up to six months ahead of time on recreation.gov. Yeah, and uh, bring plenty of Coors Light. That's right. And you'll be right next to the apple orchard. So if you're there in the fall, you can step out and pick some apples. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, but one last thing I wanted to talk about, also in my bucket. See, we have so many reasons to go back. They have available inside the park one of the most unique things I have ever heard of, and that is llama trips. Ever since you saw the llamas, you have been trying to figure out how to plan a trip that involves llamas. And the good news is I have figured it out. So the last time we stayed at Capitol Reef Resort, I was out in the parking lot doing something. And all of a sudden, this llama trip came through uh, with the people and the packs and everything. And I didn't even know it was a thing until then. You thought... You thought that it was like a horseback trip and that you rode the llama. I did. I could just see you hopping up on one. That would be worth the price of admission to see what happens when you jump up on a llama. Okay. I'm going to say I thought that until the other day when I was doing that, working on the outline, and I looked up the, the llama stuff. I literally thought you could ride the llama. But no, the llamas carry your gear and they carry all the catered meals for the trip. Isn't that enough? No, it's, uh, no, it's fine. And the you part, wanted to jump up on, on them. and I just assumed that that's what you did. But I was looking up some of the details. So there is a um, outfitter called Wilderness Ridge Trail Llamas that you can book through. Just to give you some kind of an idea, they have two and three day trips. Um, if you're going on the two day trip, you hike about eight miles and the three day trip is 16 miles. They say it's moderate hiking. These are available again, March 1st through November 15th. I think it would be an absolute blast. You have your own llama that you are guiding behind you. So you have your own llama. You're responsible for the llama? <laughs> Do you have to feed it? Probably. And brush it. And <laughs> brush it? You have to, you have no, to groom it? You have to groom know. it? You don't know. I don't you, know You're making, that. now you're just making it up. <laughs> but you know what else I found out? If sleeping in tents out in the park isn't your thing, you can also do these llama trips as a day hike. Apparently they have day hike options. Another option they have, I saw llama rentals. You can rent a llama. So they just... <laughs> 
give you the llama and you're off. I don't know. I and, guess. And they're they're trusting their llamas with you to, like, you're going to take care of it all day and bring it back. I'm guessing they give you some kind of instructions and don't jump up on it. <laughs> You want to do this, don't you? I do, but I don't think I want to rent our own llama. I feel like we need some guys. We need instruction. We need instruction. We, yes. need, instru- we need help. We need. <laughs> yeah, we need, we need people need to take supervision. Care of. Is what we need. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should do it, and then we'll do a podcast episode on the whole llama trip. I think that would be a hoot. All right. Um, well, the list is pretty long. I know. So one of the points I want to make is, even though we've been to Capitol Reef many, many times, we still have all these things we need to go back and do. Still a ton of stuff. Capitol Reef is one of those places you could go over and over and over again, and you'll still have stuff in your bucket. Yep. Okay, so Matt, how many days would you suggest that people spend in Capitol Reef National Park? Wow, that's a tough one because I think it is a park if you just were passing through and did the scenic drive that would be great so you could do a half day but you could also do I think you could do three or four or five days and, and see all these things it depends on, on how many days you run a llama um, <laughs> depends a little bit on the weather if you can do some of these scenic drives or, or slot canyons but gosh I would say at least a couple of full days to do things in the park and I would recommend more than one visit to the park. Absolutely. I think it takes that long. I mean, you could, if you're doing all five Utah parks in one trip, like a lot of people are doing, then maybe you only have one or two days and you can certainly do a lot of cool things in in that time. But if you want to do all these things that we talked about, the scenic drives, the slot canyons, the Sulphur Creek, all that stuff, maybe a llama trip, you're definitely going to need. Well, that could could take a week. Well, sure. Absolutely. So um, that would be a great week. It would be a fantastic week. So look for us in the park when you go. We'll probably be there doing some of the things we still have left on our list. Karen will be the one trying to get on top of the llama. (laughs) That didn't sound good. Well, you said you wanted to ride it. Okay. (laughs) That's different. so much for hanging out with us today. If you've been enjoying our podcast, we would really appreciate it if you took a second to leave a five-star rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. You know, it really helps us get new listeners. It's kind of like when you look at uh, all the reviews for a pizza place before you go. You know, you're more likely to go if it's a five-star rated pizza place or a brewery or that kind of thing. So we're like pizza or beer. That's that's what we're, we're like? <laughs> yeah, we're the... We're the pizza and beer of travel podcasts. What kind of pizza are you? (laughs) Mm. You can think about it. We have time. Okay. Go ahead and think about it. Next week, we'll have an episode on Black Canyon of the Gunnison in Colorado, followed by two mailbag episodes. Not one, but two this month. That's right. We've gotten so many questions that we're going to start adding more mailbag episodes. On one of the episodes this month, we're featuring what to do in Pinnacles National Park if you only have one day. And in the second mailbag episode this month, we're going to feature some of our favorite places in Redwood National Park. And that's all from us. I have a strange hankering for pie, (laughs) so I need to get to the nearest bakery. I I have to go now. (laughs) All right. I'll have peach, please. Okay. I'll get you a peach pie. (laughs) 